It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Lewis Gelman, president and CEO of Johnny Rockets Canada, or JRC. JRC was founded in 2015 by Lewis, a Canadian business entrepreneur, better known as the original master developer for Domino's Pizza in Canada. In 2015, they purchased the Canadian master license agreement for Johnny Rockets, an iconic world-renowned Americana restaurant brand. JRC was in an enviable position when COVID-19 hit, having a strong balance sheet with zero debt, solid management, capital reserves, and a robust online delivery component. The company's decision in 2018 to decelerate new store openings and embrace third-party delivery gave JRC a significant advantage during the pandemic. Due to those strategic moves, Johnny Rocket's store sales were only marginally impacted, and they did not suffer the significant fiscal losses, store closures, and employee terminations that became common for the industry during these COVIDian times. Lewis Gelman, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brant. I appreciate being here. No, it's great to have you here. And, uh, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago or so as we primed uh, for this uh, podcast. And here we are. I think it's month 10th or 11. I can't even remember. We're coming up on, I guess, in our first year anniversary of the pandemic. And uh, you kind of had some interesting insights with regards to kind of how you've done this. The restaurant industry, of course, has been hit so hard. And we've heard about it. Gosh, I was listening to uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve the other day saying something like 140 million jobs or 144,000 jobs just less last month in the restaurant sector and it's been so hard hit uh yet you guys have kind of had a pretty strong uh, position going through that so let's kind of start off with kind of you know how how things have been going for uh you know johnny rockets in canada during the the pandemic and how have you best prepared for uh you know what's been probably a pretty tough time from a consumer standpoint well actually it's been about 10 months Two weeks, two days, and 14 <laughs> hours since uh, <laughs> the pandemic started, Brent. Just to, oh, goodness. <laughs> but, but exactly, who's counting? And uh, 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 it, uh, it was a concern right out of the gate. Uh, we started seeing uh, our sales uh, be impacted uh, about this time last year, towards right. the end of January even, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where a couple of our stores are in Vancouver, British Columbia. There's a large uh, population uh, that comes from mainland China. Of and course, so they right. were already uh, 
deciding to stay home and uh, stay away mm. from restaurants. And uh, so we started to feel the impact uh, even earlier than most. But uh, yeah. uh, that's to be expected, uh, you know, given the demographics of the communities that we operate in here you know, in uh, British Columbia. Right. Right. But your family's been well and the staff and so forth. How has, you know, kind of the health side of the business been from a physical standpoint? Well, I, I was actually in New York on March the 8th. Uh, oh, my gosh. I was wow. uh, in meetings. Uh, I was yeah. <laughs> uh, driving around in uh, cars that had uh, other business people. We were shoulder to shoulder. Nobody was even oh giving goodness. it much concern at the time. And yeah, uh, yeah. turns out that. Uh, you know, that was when things were really starting to uh, rage through the city of New York. I, I got home a day later and uh, I was running a temperature, felt a little bit off, and then the next mm. day it was gone. So, uh, wow. who's to say what that was and who knew? Uh, so, yeah. uh, but yeah. other than that, yeah. uh, been feeling great and uh, been following all the healthcare guidelines, of course, uh, and uh, hiding under my bed ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and are, are things still pretty much under lockdown in British Columbia now? Actually, British Columbia never really went into a full-scale lockdown like we've right? seen yeah. in other provinces in Canada. Uh, British right. Columbia has uh, uh, kept its uh, virus uh, spreading relatively low in comparison to other parts of Canada, in particular mm. Ontario and uh, Quebec, uh, although it's been uh, going through the community uh for sure, uh, we right. we haven't had any lockdowns uh, since uh, I think April of last year. When that was the only time over a no. three or four week period where we couldn't serve anybody at the restaurants. Uh, yeah. Today yeah. the restaurants are fifty percent uh, capacity limited, capacity. and uh, we've always been able to uh, uh, serve for pickup and delivery using delivery aggregators and in house pickup uh, yeah. uh, pretty much the entire time. Right, staying open. That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Well, listen, let's uh, let's go back to your early beginnings, and we always kind of like to start in the early years, Lewis. Now, uh, is is British Columbia home? Is that where you grew up? What part of uh, Canada are you originally called from? I, I originally uh, came from Cal Calgary. Excuse me, Calgary, uh, right. Alberta, and yeah. uh, spent uh, better part of my uh, career growing up there. Went to university there. Yeah. Uh, and when I got to be age 38, I ended up uh, moving down to California for seven years before right. turning back to Canada when I uh, acquired the master franchise for Johnny Rockets yeah. in yeah. 2015. But uh, in Calgary was where uh, I spent... Uh, where it all began. My Mom and dad, uh, yep. professionals, did they work from the home? Were they you know, kind of blue collar? What, what, what was their early, early days like? Well, my father was a shopping center developer. Okay. And uh, he yeah. was actually uh, one of those early guys that uh, built uh, the first enclosed uh, regional shopping center in Ooh. Western Canada. Right. Uh, back in the 1960s wow. uh, in yeah. Vancouver, and he opened up uh, uh, other regional shopping centers in uh, Red Deer and Calgary and mm. places in the world you've probably never heard of. And, no. Uh, you, you probably wouldn't <laughs> want to hear I have, of, but, but <laughs> the other ones have not. <laughs> uh, and uh, he did that uh, for the better part of career, was yeah. uh, successful right up until the 1980s when the interest rates went to 18 19% and wow. uh, went wow. broke, like everybody else in his business yeah. at the time. And, tough. Yep. 
So you knew a little bit about the multi-unit business, right? As you were growing up, you, you saw it. Shopping center, of course, is unique in that respect. Mom worked from the home or she did. brothers and sisters? Yeah, She did. Uh, mom worked from the home and uh, I grew up uh, essentially hearing all about leases and lease negotiations yeah. and operating right. costs and commentary sure. maintenance charges was the discussion around the dinner table yep. uh, when yep. I, I was a kid. So uh, Yeah, got some early imprinting there, I imagine. That's yeah. Were you a good student in school? Uh, well, when I got to university, I sure was. Uh, <laughs> we won't talk about the earlier days. <laughs> well, when I was, uh, when I was in high school, I was chasing girls and doing the, uh, the typical high school activities. I, I actually, uh, got my pilot's license when I was 17. And so that, well, you know, uh, I was going to ask you about that. Cause I saw on your, on your LinkedIn page, you've got a pretty stealth looking jet behind you there. You've got to tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. Uh, I can. Uh, I actually <laughs> did get type rated on a uh, Citation jet a few years back and Ooh, uh, nice. have enjoyed flying that type of equipment. Uh, I do it mostly as uh, as a hobby and uh, right. uh, for fun today. But, uh, you know, at a time uh, when I was growing up, I was looking at making a career in aviation. Uh, did you get your pilot's license when you were a teenager? I did. At 17, wow. uh, I wow. actually cool. soloed on uh, when I was 16. I got my private pilot's license on my 17th nice. birthday. Became a flight instructor when I was 19, started, wow. started flying the drilling crews uh, for the oil and gas business up to the high Arctic uh, when I was 20. And, wow. Uh, wow, as a job. As a job, it uh, yeah. paid paid for my way through uh, university, did my undergraduate right. at the University of Calgary in uh, history and political science. Yeah, and, yeah, fantastic. And, and enjoyed uh, flying up uh, to what we called at the time points north. Uh, we had a, right. had a compass in the airplane and a stopwatch, uh, no autopilots, no GPS. Uh, we wow. nav navigated... Uh, uh, often in the high Arctic uh, through celestial navigation, which was interesting wow. when you're trying to keep the plane straight and level and you're yeah, only flying on board, but it uh, worked and uh, got me home pretty much every night. That's awesome. And uh, did, you, did you consider a commercial uh, pilot to career at some point? Commercial? I did. Uh, that yeah. was the plan. Uh, yeah. And uh, I had amassed a fair amount of hours by the 19, uh, early 90s. Uh, right. I had several thousands of hours in multi-engine wow. flying. And the uh, uh, problem was there were no jobs in the industry. And, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I had interviewed at a couple of uh, places and... Uh, I'd never heard anything back uh, from any of the airlines. And uh, I remember there, uh, I received uh, my acceptance to go uh, uh, for an MBA into, right. a, into a master's program. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I remember I was uh, in a place uh, where it was awfully cold and deciding which am I going to do next? Am I going to go back to university, go back to parties and... Uh, <laughs> and uh, or flying ore and gas explorers up to the way north. Or, yeah, well, we flew a lot of beer up to the Arctic uh, for some strange wow. reason. And uh, one of my more notable uh, uh, flights was uh, had to drop off uh, some beer at up in the Yukon territories and the airport uh, just was uh, snowed in that I was supposed to fly into, but they had uh, managed to clear the Alaska highway, which ran parallel to the, uh, wow. to the airport I was supposed to land at. So my company called me up on the radio and said that the RCMP uh, had blocked off about a kilometer of road for me to land at and just fly over the police cars and set her down. And uh, <laughs> they I, really wanted that. They beer. really wanted the beer. Well, I had, <laughs> I had a few other interesting things in the airplane. I there was some 
drilling parts and drilling rig parts, but uh, oh, I did. Uh, I, uh, I I found uh, where the, uh, the highway was blocked off for me, and uh, I landed about, uh, I'd say, 100 meters past uh, the uh, the first police car and uh, yeah. set her down, and, uh, the, and I still have it hanging on my wall, the police officer... Uh, uh, came up to immediately uh, gave me a ticket for speeding at uh, clocked me going over his car at 175 kilometers an hour and uh, oh, I love it in a hundred oh, kilometer an hour zone. <laughs> and the type of car was uh it was a Cessna 402 <laughs> oh gosh that's terrific and of course they unloaded the beer and of course they kept the road closed long enough for you to take off I hope. they right. did I was it was pretty <laughs> short but it was a lot of fun it only happened the one time and uh, oh, my it, uh it sticks with me I love that. So University of Calgary undergrad and then East Asian Open Institute for your, for your MBA. Right. What, what was it, that? that was in Vancouver. And at the right. time uh, I needed, I was, I was working uh, for a shopping center development uh, firm in Western right. Canada, managing some properties for them. And uh, uh, it was the only uh, MBA that I could do, which was uh, uh, executive. So I didn't have to be right. there full time. So an executive right. MBA, which are more, commonplace now uh, yes. uh it was actually uh ran out of vancouver uh, i would fly into vancouver uh, once a month for three straight days 24 hours of lectures wow. and it, would, wow. it was actually a pretty good program they brought in uh professors and uh different uh, people in uh, industry related uh huh. from all over the world to, to lecture at the time it was it was fairly progressive and that was right. a two-year course uh and right. uh, discovered uh that my math skills were waning quite a bit <laughs> i hadn't been right. in a math class since high school and uh, when i got into my mba uh, uh you know the first year was uh, statistics and accounting oh. and finance and uh, it, it was a challenge challenge for sure and uh it was it was eye-opening but uh, after the first year it uh it opened it up for better. me it did it was uh thesis based so wrote the thesis in the second year and uh managed to get through it uh, with a respectable grade and it looks like you got involved in dominoes pretty much right away out of school right so tell us a little bit of how that came across well I, I i actually got involved with dominoes uh well, I was going to university. I was yeah. uh, I, I was still working full time, and I was managing a shopping center in Calgary. And one of my tenants uh, was a Domino's Pizza franchisee. Oh, and, yeah. and, they, so they had been in in uh, Canada for a while, right? I think you, right. you, you told us before. Actually, um, uh, uh, the founder, whose name escapes me right now, um, Tom Monahan. Uh, yeah, Tom had had sent folks up to Canada, right? Family members or something? How did they get things started originally? Well, their first store was in Winnipeg, and uh, right. they did send up uh, some franchisees in the United States uh, yeah. up to Canada to open at uh, the first stores, and it uh, was a slow go at it. Right. Uh, they opened right. up, I think, their first store uh, in the mid-'80s, and uh, uh, by the time uh, I got involved in it, uh, there was only about 140 stores in Canada at the time. It was waning. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so, uh, but they operated Canada uh, from the United States, uh, and they right. considered uh, Canada as a domestic U.S. market. And mm. um, uh, when 
Uh, I got involved with it uh, through the contact who was a Domino's Pizza franchisee, who was, by the way, the original guy who brought it up to Canada back in oh, the he 80s. was? Okay. He owned about 25 stores, and yeah. uh, we ended up, uh, uh, he was looking for a financial partner to open up uh, or to buy some stores uh, on Vancouver Island uh, was uh, at the time, because I guess uh, the guy who owned the franchise is out on uh, Vancouver Island had uh, passed away in a scuba dive accident oh, goodness. and his huh. widow was trying to sell the stores and uh, uh, he needed some money and so uh, I went and asked my mom for uh, a loan and uh, she lent yeah. me a few bucks and we went and bought these stores and that launched wow. me into the pizza business, the food yeah. business and, yeah. and uh, so we bought the stores on Vancouver Island, uh, I put the money together and uh, this other gentleman um, uh, ran them and operated them and uh, cut my teeth learning the, the business and flipped wow. pizza and uh, became a approved franchisee and went through the training programs and uh, I loved it right out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, it uh, got into my blood and uh, next thing uh, we knew is that uh, Tom Monahan was uh, running short of cash and having difficulties. Mm -hmm. He had been playing around with his sports teams and uh, his uh, corporate jets, which I can't, right. say, I can't say I blame him. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a very charitable guy too, I've already called him. Uh, he was and still is yeah. uh, as far as I know. And yeah. um, uh, so we ended up uh, putting a proposal to take Canada over as a master yeah. and right. uh, develop it out. Uh, and we put in place, uh, you know, the brand uh, systems and uh, uh, we took over, uh, you know, running the franchise and uh, ensuring that uh, the brand standards were adhered to in Canada. Right. And we launched a campaign to grow the system and uh, improve uh, everything from uh, how the real estate uh, was looked after through to how mm. we franchised and distributed to the um, the different uh, communities and uh, it went rather well uh within five years uh by the time i had sold out uh, we had uh, more than doubled our store count and wow. uh, uh cleaned up the system uh we had to close down a number of the stores that were on the bubble when we originally bought it uh, right. uh, but what we did was we turned it into a, a real estate driven franchise uh, operation mm. and uh, that was kind of new uh in franchising at the time and that tapped into my knowledge base of uh, real estate and shopping centers and lease negotiations. Right. And, uh, you know, essentially we used uh, strategies uh, designed around uh, real estate acquisition and uh, lease negotiation and setting, putting in place the right uh, policies that uh, connected our desire for growth and our targets and goals uh, right to uh, what we were doing uh, on real estate. And yeah. uh, uh, they follow those same principles today. And uh, the people who own it now, uh, I know, use the same systems I put in place That's back awesome. in the 90s. They've got 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah. they got yeah. 850 stores now in Canada. And, and uh, Wow, that's crazy. They do both. Now, you, you mentioned you, you, you loved it. So tell us a little bit about that passion. What, what was it that you liked and that you found, you know, getting into that that you probably didn't expect? Oh, the drama. <laughs> the uh you know the the drama at every level quite frankly yeah. not not that i like uh uh <laughs> drama but uh, you know you get to know people and their lives yeah. and their stories and you participate in their successes and you're you you know work 
like uh, work with them through their hardships and uh, well, you're a problem problems. solver, right? Well, I mean, but, you... you know, it's a people business, and yeah. uh, you know, I like the idea of how you know if you set up the right uh, you know, ways of working and treating people, uh, you know, you can make a real go of uh, the right. restaurant business because that's yeah. what it all uh, uh, is uh, based off. Of, frankly, you work with a lot of young people, right? Typically, a lot of kids, students, right? That are at that ground level. And did you have sub licensees then as well as the master, you know, developer and owner, or how did you kind of grow out that business over that four or five year period? Actually, most of the franchisees were, uh, middle-aged, uh, so no, didn't, didn't really work with a lot of, uh, younger people, uh, at the Mm. time, uh, uh, they were middle-aged or even older. They were fairly sophisticated franchisees that were in the system. Uh, they were they were stuck in their ways. So we we really had to change their mindset on growth, and uh, so we took out the best practices that Domino's was following in. Uh, in the United States, uh, and these uh, franchisees all became our sub-franchisees because we were the master right. for Canada. Right. And, uh, you know, we we got the franchisees in Canada growing again and adding stores, as and we also brought in uh, new blood into the system that hmm. uh, uh, built out stores in different uh, parts of, uh, of Canada and different regions. And uh, what, what did you do differently than, than, you know, Tom Monaghan and the team that tried to operate it as the... Uh, <laughs> The 51st state, so to speak. Well, actually, uh, what we did differently from what was happening before is we actually went back to following brand standards. And so, uh, you know, one of the first things that I learned in the franchise business is if you follow the uh, the brand standards and you follow the uh, the operation guidelines, those things which the brand had been doing and doing well for many years and become extremely proficient at it uh, and uh, don't let your guard down with it, Uh, that seemed to be the right way of handling it. So we actually went back to basics and just did everything we were supposed to do uh, and didn't do anything differently, which was the problem before we got in. Each of the franchisees were doing their own thing and doing things they wanted. And we kind of corralled them and said, here's the way it needs to run. We have to follow uh, the guidelines and the standards and uh, we're going to enforce it. And uh, everybody appreciated that. And those who yeah. uh, you know didn't uh, or couldn't or wouldn't uh, participate in following the brand standards, we exited from exited they, them from the system. We're, we're released to the industry, as we say. Uh, <laughs> one way of putting it, uh, you know, some of it uh, was difficult and uh, some yeah. wanted to go. So uh, yeah. we found buyers awesome. and uh, got them out of the system. And did you sell then the franchise back to Domino's or was there another master franchisee that took over the business when you sold it? I sold it to uh, a public company at the time uh, called Comac Food Group. I'm not sure what transpired with them over the years. Uh, uh, They had a couple of other brands. They had a little popular uh, uh, coffee brand in Canada. I think it was called Grabba Jabba at the time. Mm. And uh, they published some uh, cookbooks and whatnot. And, and they ended up buying it from us uh, for about 12 and a half times what we paid for it. Uh, nice. Which in a five-year time frame was That's uh, not bad. a pretty good return. And yeah. uh, well, at the time, I was pretty thrilled with it uh, because it was a good way to uh, uh, sell out and get on to the next stage in life. Yeah. Uh, had I kept it uh, today, <laughs> it would have been... Uh, more like a hundredfold. So yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm committed to never making that mistake again. <laughs> well, we never regret those transitions, right? Because there's always something new oh, that comes along. Brant, I you regretted wanted... that transition. Uh, every time yeah. I look at their store count and the volume of sales they do and say, hey, we could have kept owning that. Uh, yeah. 
should have kept it. <laughs> <laughs> so you went into to real estate management, I think, after that, right? With Cirrus Consulting Group. Tell us a little bit about, you know, that transition. What kind of, you know, made that make sense for you and, and what did that entail? Well, Cirrus Consulting Group, uh, you know, really was uh, uh, getting out of the restaurant business and back mm. into real estate uh, uh, and as it turned out, because of the background that I had acquired in real estate and lease negotiations, and then turning that around and working with uh, uh, the franchisees and the domino system, uh, I started to get calls from different types of uh, tenant groups, from mm. restaurant groups, from uh, uniquely enough healthcare practitioners that said, hey, you know, uh, my landlord's given me a hard time. I've got a lease coming up for renewal. How should I do it? What you know? Oh. How should I uh, deal with the landlords? I got invited to speak at a, a bunch of different conferences, uh, and uh, so I started to do work, just um, uh, handling calls that came in, and uh, picked a fee structure and started to negotiate leases yeah. for these different uh, organizations and their uh, uh, their franchisees and their. Um, community. And uh, that actually took off uh, very quickly. And I founded Cirrus, uh, I called it Cirrus Tenant Lease Services at the time, uh, got switched over to Cirrus Consulting Group, which is what it's known as uh, and still operates today under. And uh, my first contract was with the Canadian Medical Association. Mm. And uh, so they hired us to represent uh, their members across Canada uh, and have uh, lease negotiations on their behalf. And uh, mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. teamed up with um, uh, one of the largest uh, uh, drugstore chains in Canada, mm. uh, uh, Shoppers Drug Mart at the time, uh, to help us get our members, uh, the Canadian Medical Association members at the time, better lease deals. And so under right. the, uh, the College of Physician rules, you, you can't directly subsidize a family physician's business uh, or operation, uh, so they write prescriptions. But it was mm. very advantageous for the drugstore chains to be near a family doctor that wrote uh, several million dollars worth of uh, prescriptions a year. Right. So right. what we did is uh, we worked with Shoppers Drug Mart. Uh, we located them uh, in the same property as uh, family doctors, and uh, the landlord agreed to give the family doctors a good break in the rent, and in return, Chopper's Drug Mart paid a higher rent. And oh. so indirectly, it worked out really well. The physicians yeah. got better lease deals. The pharmacy was near where they wanted to be. It was a really great win-win scenario. And I woke up one yeah. morning, and uh, there was uh, a dozen Chopper Drug Mart uh, employees working out of my office. <laughs> and I said, uh, geez, that, uh, that says something about the success of this. Yeah. And, uh, and we diversified. We started negotiating leases for uh, dentists across uh, North America. We opened up an office in the United Kingdom, uh, down in California, and uh, it grew well beyond uh, mm. uh, you know what I was thinking and uh, would ever achieve. And uh, uh, at any given time, uh, we were doing about in 2006, the year I sold it, uh, we were doing about 400 negotiations. Uh, we were open at any given time. And, uh, so what prompted you to sell the business back in 2006? Well, my management team, uh, the gentleman uh, who was my uh, president of the company, wanted uh, to be a partner and approached me. Mm -hmm. and I said, mm -hmm. I wasn't interested in partners. How about you just buy me out? <laughs> and right. uh, uh, 
uh, he said, well, well, how much money do you want for the company? And I, uh, I gave him the number and uh, he says, well, let me see what I can do. And I, and I thought that would be the end of that discussion. Yeah, and, right. Didn't expect him to come back. Uh, he came back uh, and said, uh, uh, I think uh, later that year and said, uh, well, uh, give me uh, a few months to try to put that amount together and mm. uh, uh, I'll see what I can do. And uh, lo and behold, he put the money together and yeah. uh, he purchased uh, the uh, the company from me in 2006. Uh, right. It was a pretty straightforward deal. Uh, I remember making three changes to the sale purchase agreement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was closed a week later and I uh, helped with the transition through to yeah. the end of 2006. And I, I remember in January 2007, uh, he calls me up and he says, uh, so what are you doing? <laughs> I said, well, I was planning on taking some time off. He goes, well, why don't you come back and work for uh, work for the company and keep doing ah, what you were doing? And uh, yeah. and uh, I decided to take him up on it. So for oh, a number okay. of years after I sold it, uh, I yeah. kept uh, kept working for him and kept giving seminars uh, for my old company. And uh, at the same time, I developed uh, relationships with uh, some other uh, franchise uh, chains in the United States. Mm. I was helping them out with their real estate. Uh, the Great uh, Recession hit, as you probably That's are right. aware, yeah. in 2008. Yeah. And uh, my skill set of renegotiating leases for businesses that were having uh, financial difficulty came right. uh, back into focus. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm representing uh, a bunch of different uh, multi-unit chains uh, sure. across the United States. Uh, and uh, one of them was uh, Johnny Rockets. Johnny Rockets, yeah. Well, definitely one of my favorite spots. Yeah. We, we spoke a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. So, so how did that kind of transition to you, you know, taking over and let's, let's go do another franchise in Canada? Well, at the time, uh, I think this was about 2012, I was uh, helping them with their corporate store portfolio uh, to renegotiate a bunch of the leases and exit them out of some real bad locations that they, they were already in Canada again. Kind of uh, like them. Well, I was working with them in the States uh, okay. on, on the U.S. operations at the time. I and yeah. I was living in California at the time. And uh, they did have uh, just uh, two or three locations up in Canada, I think in 2012. So they didn't really have a very big presence at all. And um, I got to know the management team well. I got to learn the brand uh, and their uh, products and menus and thought, uh, gee, it's uh, this is a... uh, pretty tasty milkshake, which mm, uh, I yeah. really, really fell in love with. And, <laughs> what are their highlights? Yeah, it was one of their big highlights. And I, I like the whole entertainment side, their, yes. uh, the, you know, the way they approach customer service and uh, engaging with their uh, their patrons was, uh, you know, kind of unique in the industry. And I, I took a shine to that and their executive team, who I had become quite friendly with. And and I had learned uh, just being in the office uh, in 2012, and they were based at the time out of a uh, place in uh, Irvine, California, right, right. Uh, in Orange County. And uh, they were having difficulty with their Canadian franchisee. Now, they did not have a master for Canada. They had a, a U.S. Uh, franchisee who uh, sent his uh, kid up to Toronto right. with a few bags of cash to open up a, a, yeah. you know, some restaurants, which he did in some pretty high profile locations in Toronto, paying extraordinarily high rents. Mm. 
And uh, he ended up, uh, the kid, buying uh, a Lamborghini. and, um, and, uh, and, and <laughs> He got a, one of those traffic tickets. Yeah, an expensive <laughs> condo and uh, wasn't okay. really at the restaurants very much. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and so, well, you can imagine how that ended up. They exited the Canadian market. And uh, that's when I said, well, hey, you know, yeah. you guys have a lot of the, the right boxes checked for a franchise that should work in Canada. Uh, right. I mean, uh, when I started doing the research, it turned out that uh, you know Johnny Rockets uh, has a a large footprint, meaning a, a large number of stores in markets that uh, are frequented by Canadian travelers quite readily, mm-hmm. uh, and the number one tourist destination for huh. Canadians, uh, believe it or not, is Las Vegas. Wow. Uh, some twenty wow. million plus visits a year. And that also happens to be the number one uh, market for Johnny Rockets. They've got uh, go. yeah. eight or 12 locations down there in the uh, casinos, and they do very wow. well. And uh, so a lot of Canadians were familiar. It was known. It was a known brand, even that's, though it didn't exist in Canada. Huh? That's right. And then Canadians yeah. love to go to Mexico, and they're big in Mexico in the airports. Right. Uh, Canadians uh, flocked at the time to Royal Caribbean cruise ships and uh, yeah. Uh, Johnny Rockets is on uh, nine or 10 other ships, at least they used to be when they were sailing. And, uh, and so you had some good brand awareness. Uh, so I, are you, are you technically an employee then of, of the Johnny Rockets or, or you're once again, a master franchisee for Canada? Well, today, so in 2015, right. I proposed to buy the Canadian master franchise rights, okay. uh, right. and there were no stores operating in Canada at the time. Mm-hmm. And we put together a professional development strategy uh, from coast to coast. And mm-hmm. uh, so we ended up- uh, And you had a team where did you, did you pull some of the folks from Domino's way back when, or I, were there folks- I did actually, I did. So I, I closed on the acquisition of the master license rights for Canada in, uh, I believe it was October, 2015. And then uh, I put together a management team and we set out on uh, raising some seed capital so we could open up our first round of stores. Uh, We raised about 9 million Canadian, uh, all equity, no debt. Uh, Being in this restaurant business, uh, I tend to stay away from debt because that's the kiss of death. Yes. And uh, glad I did. And uh, we opened up. Uh, our first round of stores on the west coast of Canada in Vancouver and uh, Vancouver Island. Uh, we opened up four stores in 18 months, and mm. uh, uh, it was a difficult go of it. Uh, bringing mm. any new brand into Canada is difficult. These yeah. are all corporately run stores. Uh, we had to refine our operations, figure out our menu and our menu pricing, and uh, you know get a handle on uh, supplies and uh, uh, the different uh, products and, uh, you know, where to get our uh, equipment uh, from right. and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but we got our act together. And uh, by 2018, uh, we had uh, four of our locations open and uh, we started to look at uh, developments. We were ready to open or launch developments on two more locations. And then that's when the whole craze around yeah. pickup and delivery uh, Primarily, right. the delivery aggregators were uh, being introduced into the market. Uh, really, was quite the disruption, and uh, I resisted it at first. And then uh, my kids kept asking me to to bring home Johnny Rockets from the restaurant. And I said, "It's going to be half an hour till I get it home." Well, we don't care, Dad. We love it. It tastes great. And I started uh-huh. to 
try the food after it had, it had been riding in my car for a half an hour. And, uh, you know, it was not bad. And, yeah. you know, coming from the pizza world, Brent, uh, yes. you know, I, I thought pizza was the only product that would actually travel right. well. Right. And then when I started to realize that, uh, you know, you could, uh, you know, package up burgers and fries. And hot dogs as well. And yeah. Hot dogs and milkshakes reasonably <laughs> well. And it would taste not half bad. And yeah. uh, so I dropped the resistance we to delivery. We embraced it. Uh, we, we put uh, three delivery aggregators uh, uh, into our system. And uh, we uh, really ran with it in 2019. We saw our same store sales go up by 25% wow. year over year. And uh, the brand had really started to take off. Uh, yeah. We had uh, three back-to-back -back quarters of uh, profitability. So we got back on track with uh, where we thought uh, the system should be. And sure. uh, we uh, went head into the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all good, kinds of expansion plans for twenty. We did. We right? we actually had uh, signed a deal to acquire a smaller brand uh, in Canada, another uh, West Coast that was about uh, just about a dozen locations, and right. we were going to convert them over to Johnny Rockets. And then the pandemic hit, and uh, we backed off those plans and yeah. uh, uh, just hunkered down and. Uh, started to deal with the pandemic and, the and good, how many stores today uh four we've we've we never closed any of our stores we kept right. everything operating right. uh we yeah. went into the pandemic with a really strong balance sheet no debt and uh plenty of cash on hand and uh we just uh focused weathered the storm uh yeah. weathered the storm but uh, we did more than that uh uh, by the summertime, uh, we did some philanthropic work. Uh, we uh, we gave the hospital 5,500 lunches uh, last mm. spring, which was uh, pretty exciting uh, for us. Uh, kept the staff focused and uh, something to do because uh, the sales had declined at the time. But uh, by the summertime last year, our sales had bounced back pretty uh, much to uh, about 20% of our pre-COVID levels. And uh, mm. so we started to look at ways that we could uh, expand uh, uh, at least our menu and, uh, you know, get our, get our sales, uh, try to get our sales back up to pre COVID levels, uh, uh, into the fall of, uh, 2020. And, right. uh, so we launched, uh, some ghost kitchens. Uh, we acquired another brand, uh, up in Canada, Nathan's famous, uh, out of New York. Uh, if you recall in uh, sure. first part of our discussion, I was, uh, uh, in New York and that's what it was for. And uh, so we've uh, introduced uh, Nathan's Famous and uh, their product onto the west coast of Canada. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, that's uh, helped us recapture back about half of our lost uh, sales wow. now. Uh, and it and it has not come. Uh, we haven't cannibalized our rockets business at all. It's a completely different price point and yeah. uh, consumer. Yeah. Brand. Awesome. And um, total number of employees, kind of what, what's your your team like now today? We have about 65 employees. And uh, during the pandemic, we didn't lay anybody off, which we're pretty proud of. Kept your executive team together as uh, well. We did. Kept all of our management team together. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, has you know certainly been a challenge, but we've managed to reduce our uh, our GNA considerably. We really just uh, focused in on cost control and uh, managing our uh, uh, our operations, and uh, uh, to the point where uh, we've we've got it down pretty much to an art now. And I think we'll be leaner and meaner coming out of the pandemic later this That's year. Great. 
Well, you mentioned earlier the importance of of, of company culture and in kind of following the guidelines, right? You know, with Domino's, you went back to the basics. Is that kind of how you launched Johnny Rockets as well? Did you pretty much have a, a playbook that you followed that was based on their success in the past? Well, Johnny Rockets has some great menu items and terrific recipes. And uh, yeah. one of the one of the things that we found in Canada is, uh, you know, we we had to use Canadian products. Uh, to uh, fill the uh, the recipes, and so we were using Canadian beef and Canadian dairy for the milkshakes and the cheeses. And it turns out that uh, it really has a great taste profile, considerably better, I think, than uh, what U.S. domestic uh, mm. franchisees have. So our product quality in Canada is, uh, I consider it to be some of the best in the Johnny Rocket system. And uh, uh, the Johnny Rockets crew who had come up here and uh, you know do their uh, tastings yeah. and uh, ensure our right, right. Uh, you know adherence to the brand standards they also felt that our uh, our product was uh, pretty much the high you know one of the highest if not the highest in the system and so our attitude is uh, today and and really was from the beginning uh, you know best operations is going to be the, la- the last man standing right. and so we right. we really right. drill down on operations and uh, making sure everybody knows what they're doing when they're doing it uh, uh, we love to read and keep learning. Uh, we do follow the brand standards, of course, but uh, you know we've we've never gone the route of discounting. So uh, rather than uh, discount and drop prices, and and of course uh, have to accompany that with a reduction in quality of products to get lower food costs, we've actually gone the other way. We've uh, increased the quality of our products. We've gotten better beef and better buns and better fries, and we've priced it accordingly. And our customers have accepted that, and uh, they like to see value. But more importantly, they uh, they like to bite into one of our burgers and have a milkshake that tastes the way they want it. Yeah. How how do you you know kind of um, recruit? For, for the people in the business? You know, what do you look for when you're investing in people that you want to hire, whether it's at the entry level in the stores or, you know, in your management team? What do you, what do you think really it takes to be successful in QSR? Well, we've, uh, most QSR, and, and we actually consider ourselves to be fast casuals as opposed to okay. QSR, yeah. which, you know, right. blurs a lot of lines. So uh, yeah, uh, right. and, and part of what we tried to do in Canada was, is educate the the customer that we actually are not a QSR that we are fast casual and you know that that was quite the effort but it really does start with selecting people who have what I call a server's heart mm. uh, and people who want to serve uh, want to serve right. their colleagues and want to serve customers want to serve the brand I mean I I have a server's heart. Uh, you yeah. know, it, not uncommon uh, on Thursdays and Fridays to find me actually in the restaurants cleaning tables and uh, serving customers because I get to talk yeah. to people and the kids don't let me into the kitchen because I make a mess and they don't want to clean up after me. So <laughs> they they push me out into the, uh, the front of house and uh, into the dining room to talk to customers, right. at least before the pandemic was going on. Uh, that's where sure. you would usually find me on uh, on those days. And, and so... When we would be doing interviews, uh, we looked for people that had, uh, you know, the, the criteria that would make you feel like uh, this was somebody who really wanted to serve others. And uh, so you look in, in their history, uh, did they have some volunteer work? Um, you know, do they have other restaurant experience, of course? And uh, sure. uh, we did something unique uh, out of the gate uh, here in British Columbia, uh, there was a move in British Columbia to get uh, minimum wage uh, up over $15 an hour. 
Uh, and that movement started in 2015 when minimum wage here was $10.85. Uh, today, it still hasn't reached uh, $15. Uh, it's gone up a few bucks uh, an hour. But we came out of the gate in 2017 when we opened up our first stores paying $15 an hour for wow. starting wage. Wow. And our average yeah. wage today is about $17.50 an hour, which is well above minimum wage. I think it's about yeah. 35%, yeah. 40%. And so, you know, you combine that with the right people who have that server's heart. And uh, we've been able to keep our turnover to about 50%, which is half of the wow. industry half norm. Industry, yeah. Uh, We've also maintained all of our management team and store managers since we started. So we haven't turned any of our managers over. Uh, And, uh, you know, I think that reflects uh, their commitment to what it is we're doing, our desire for growth. And, you know, everybody wants to serve a product that is desired and uh, sought after by customers and people. It makes you feel good. And uh, we take it to heart. Yeah, love it. Well, how would you say your leadership style has changed over the years? You know, if you go back to those early days when you were literally in your late twenties, early thirties with with Domino's, and you know, inheriting that and getting it straight to to kind of how you manage today at Johnny Rockets. Well, it's like a fine wine; it uh, gets better with time, I suppose. <laughs> uh, Right. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, uh, today I listen a lot more. I listen to everybody, uh, you know, from from my staff to my board of directors. And I try to incorporate uh, other people's ideas, even if I'm not crazy about them, into my decision making. And so, you know, that's something that's been uh, uh, an effort of mine to have to, you know, mentally uh, force myself to do. Uh, is to take into consideration other people have been in the business uh, and come from other backgrounds, uh, what they think are the right choices and uh, pair that with with mine. And uh, since I've started doing that uh, over the years, that's that's led me to some pretty good successes. And so I, I follow along with that, uh, you know, quite uh, regimentally or religiously, if you want to say. And uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's given it's been a key success factor for me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I read a lot. Uh, I measure everything, uh, which was one of my board members taught me. At, uh, look, uh, it's all fine and dandy. This was years ago. But if you can't measure what it is, the success is, uh, what's the point? And so, you know, we've spent a lot of time uh, uh, tracking our numbers and uh, uh, measuring our everything that uh, we can possibly measure from uh, the number of burgers we sell to the amount of staff uh, turnover to, uh, uh, you know, the re- literally the hundreds of different uh, data points that you can measure in a restaurant. We have, uh, we like to be on the leading edge of technology. We've got very sophisticated uh, point of sale system and back of house system. It's all integrated. Uh, uh, I like to use uh, the highest quality equipment uh, in the restaurants, even though it comes at a higher cost. I believe in uh, keeping things consistent and uh, having systems that uh, lower, uh, you know, overall complexity and labor costs in the restaurants. Uh, and that's, uh, that's worked for us. Uh, you know, Johnny Rockets uh, down in the United States that does the same volumes that we do will have on staff uh, at any given shift, maybe anywhere from six to 10 people. We can do it with uh, four to five. Nice. Uh, handle the same volume. 
Yeah, awesome. Well, Lewis, we're almost out of time. I, we, we've uh, certainly gone through a lot and it's been really enjoyable, but we always have one last question we ask all our CEO guests. And you know, that's got, what kind of career and life advice would you give someone that you know, maybe has their eyes on a corner office or, or your beautiful view there on Victoria out in the sea, as you showed me the other day. And you know, maybe they've uh, decided they want to kind of take more of an entrepreneurial you know, uh, approach, particularly in you know, the, the restaurant hospitality business, which is a tough business to be in, you know, and, and you've certainly been very successful in it. But what would you say to someone that's maybe 10, 15 years behind you that's taken a look and, you know, wants to kind of emulate the same success you've had? Well, I, I get out there and learn as much as you can, obviously, from, uh, you know, industry leaders. Uh, you know, you certainly don't have to reinvent the wheel uh, in this industry to have success. Uh, and if you if you do want to reinvent certain parts of the wheel, uh, you know, having some uh, uh, foundation in uh, on which to do that based on experience is going to be, you know, pretty darn important. Uh, you know, listening to people, listening to customers, listening to your staff, listening to your shareholders and your board of directors. Uh, really, I can't emphasize that, uh, that skill enough. Uh, you know, I wish I had started that when I was younger, especially listening to my wife. Uh, had I listened to her more, I think I would have been uh, uh, much further ahead. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think that has served me well, uh, you know, caring about your people and, uh, you know, putting people first before profits, uh, you know, very important uh, uh, you know, you can always carve out another uh, nickel uh, or or dime here and there, but uh, you can't replace good staff so easily. And so, yeah. you know, learning what makes uh, people motivated to work uh, hard is uh, another important skill set of a CEO, sure. I, I believe. Yeah. So that combined would and be my advice. Quality. I mean, clearly your focus on quality with Johnny Rockets and how you've really upped the game has been a, it sounds like a key contributor to success. It, it's interestingly enough, Brent, all connected. So you're not going to yeah. get quality people if you're not serving a quality product. Uh, That's right. And yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, at least in my experience. And so, you know, it, it's, it very much goes together. Well, Lewis Gallman, President and CEO of Johnny Rockets Canada, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Oh, my pleasure, Brent. And uh, I hope to be a guest again someday on your show. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 